we have no idea what the settlements are for, right? They could they could be exactly what he's saying that they're paying out so much money, um, and you know they just don't want to get caught, so they're willing to settle. They don't want to go to court. It could be that they're just settling because it's cheaper to settle. Just go the hell away. I'll pay five thousand dollars for a settlement. You can say you got a settlement. We won't object to it, and this saves us money. Um, so yeah, let's let's uh, let's get going. Um, so uh, hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Chatter. Uh, today I am delighted to be joined by uh, Brandon Cockadin. Uh, Cockadin, Cockadan. Catch Coden. Cockadin. Oh, like almost like Cockadamol. Cockadin. Okay, Brandon Cockadin, who uh, writes for Forbes as a staff writer and is the author of an article that I'm sure many people have read who are listening to this, uh, The Looney Conspiracy Theory Threatening Wall Street. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. Yep, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so, as I mentioned before we started, uh, I first came across you because I read your uh, I read your article and um, felt like you were giving a mildly different opinion, <laughs> shall we say, to uh, the one that is expressed by many people who have been following the GameStop saga. So... I guess maybe we start with the article. So, and maybe actually we we sort of rewind a bit and start with start with GameStop. So, when did you first become aware of this as a as a story, and what was your initial take on the 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 whole thing? Yeah, I mean, for GameStop specifically, I mean, pretty much, you know, late fall early winter of 20, you know, 2019 going into 2020. So, you know, a little bit beforehand, but, uh, you know, I was at Bloomberg at the time. And one of the things I kept doing probably since 2017, 2018 was, you know, I got a little bit addicted like everyone else to Wall Street bets. And I mean, I was on there every single day. And, you know, one of the things we obviously do at Bloomberg is why is this stock moving? Why is that stock moving? And, you know, it occurred to me like, these same stocks, we were sitting there wondering why they were moving and we didn't have a good explanation. You could look to, to Wall Street bets and you could basically say like, look, they're talking about these stocks right now. They're trading options, which means that, you know, they're going to have a bigger impact presumably than what you would normally think retail would have. And so for years, I was just like, yo, this thing that you don't think is doing anything is actually moving stocks. Um, you know, not a lot of people wanted to believe that at the time, but when GameStop happened, it was like, oh my God, maybe maybe you were right about this. I wonder, actually, on that note, do you think that it was actually the retail investors who were moving it, even if they are buying options, or is it, was it um, like larger financial firms, hedge funds, etc.? who were watching wall street bets as like a tip like a yeah just like a, a yeah. rumor mill to to watch tips from because i get the feeling that they've been watching wall street bets or they had been i don't know if they still are um much longer than a lot of people realize and um for example uh there was then straight after the gamestop uh run up in january there was a lot of tickers that were being like tickers that were being hyped 
as like or being identified by um, analytics firms as being ones to watch and it turns out that they were just being made up by people uh, but they were being picked up because people were just spamming them on comments on threat on posts on wall street bets like there was one that was uh cum come that appeared in analytics firms as, as something to watch um, that's always the one that just cracks me up so yeah. i i think so do you think it was the retail investors specifically or do you think it was like the yeah larger firms watching this i mean i think it certainly was a mix of both i mean there's no doubt that that you know it, professional investors tap into things like you know the, the idea of message board stock chatter wasn't invented by wall street bets like this has been an ongoing thing so like you know i think definitely and we we're starting to see you know after the fact certainly um we started to see evidence of like well there was actually some you know professional well professional money involved in this so like yeah i mean i think it was definitely both and it's like a question of like do you think that some of the chatter on wall street bets was sort of fed into the system to create the hype or was it the other way around where like, hey, there was this retail chatter and then the professional money, you know, monitoring the feeds. It was like, okay, we're gonna jump on this as like a momentum sort of trade or something like that. Like, I don't know how exactly it would have, you know, actually played out, but yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm sure professional money came in and you know, made, made their killing on it as well too. Yeah, I mean, I've no doubt that there was, and and I think you, there's there's definitely a, an extent to which you could be right about there things being sort of like thrown in to Wall Street bets, especially like possibly even the GameStop um, thing by some like bigger sharks. But yeah, I mean, I, I, at the time, like one of the things I said during interviews during that time period was, you know, if you went and you read some of the original analysis, like even prior to uh, to Roaring Kitty, um, like there were people on there that if you, if I printed out their page on, you know, what they were writing on Wall Street Bets, if I printed it out and I put it on hedge fund letterhead, you wouldn't have known the difference. Like it was legit analysis. There was a guy, it was like Delani D or something is, is I think the username I called out in one of my articles and he nailed it. Like he nailed every single part of it. Um, and that was like a year ahead of time before, you know, all hell broke loose. But I mean, he was he was like spot on with everything. He nailed the fact that, you know, Wall Street was underestimating the cash. They were, un, you know, overestimating the cash burn. And it was like a traditional 100% value play. And they totally, totally nailed it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so Roaring Kitty first, um, first bought in, in, I'm just looking for the exact date. Uh in 2019 yeah i want to say yeah. it was like august august or something like that 2019 or july august 2019 like first, first yeah that yeah. was his first post but that's not yeah. when he first purchased it um yeah. in june 2019 was when he first um bought some uh so yeah so he was miles ahead of the time but yeah his, his analysis was was um initially it was everything was based on the fundamentals like the short interest was not part of the, yeah. the the fundamental like value like his his thesis on why the stock was undervalued like the short interest was nothing to do with that right it was the cherry on top that that's like what it was it was like and if all of this plays out hey guess what there's this you know there's this fuel for the fire to burn even hotter yeah 
then obviously things happen people start realizing that he's maybe right um around september 2020 um the short interest was already at 120 percent um and then it sort of it depends on exactly who you believe in terms of numbers but it was somewhere between um 140 at one point um all the way up to about 282 percent in mid-january was one of the highest figures i saw quoted by an analytics firm so you the the thesis of your article is basically that that naked short selling is not massively it's not it's not something that's that's widespread within the market at all um and it's definitely not the the reason for companies going going bust so you've cited a few examples in the, in the article and we can, we can go into them but um how do you think a stock gets to that level of short interest without some some amount of naked short selling occurring well, I mean, I guess the first thing to point out here is if if we're citing numbers that are that high, that's that that's not based on naked short selling, right? Like you wouldn't have the number. It, short interest wouldn't be that high if there was naked short selling, right? Like it wouldn't account for naked short selling is what I'm trying to say. Like the naked shorts wouldn't factor into that part of the equation. So when you cite those numbers from an analyst, like the analytical reports, whatever, wherever it's coming from S3 or whoever, like, that's legit known borrows. Hmm. And that's also why we know the borrow number or the, the expense to keep borrowing got so high in terms of like how it gets that high, how it can go in excess of a hundred percent. You know, Matt Levine, if, I forget when this was, but it was probably during the whole mayhem in January of that year. Um, you know, he wrote a good column explaining it. It's that, you know, shares can be lent out multiple times. I can lend it to you and then you can lend it to someone else. And that counts and that you can keep adding to the numerator. You know, I mean, it's a chain. It's it's really weird to think about, um, but it happens. And like, it rarely doesn't happen that often. But if you can't get the shares and, you know, this borrowing keeps happen, keep, it keeps happening, it can go over 100%. And that's what happened there. I mean, I... Again, like it's it's one of these things where people say naked short selling, but like, where's the evidence? Like, I, I understand why people would think that. And certainly in a case where the borrow rates got as high as they did for GameStop, like that would be a situation where you would expect it. Like if there was ever a situation you would expect it, it's when the borrow rates go sky high because, you know, why would you want to pay that? But, you know, I, I still haven't, yeah. Again, still haven't really seen evidence for it. Mm. Okay, so you're saying that even so, a lot. So, in my mind, there's like there's two instances where there's the I would consider something to be a naked short sell. And you can correct me if my my understanding of the definition is wrong. So either um, under reg show rules, where um, a hedge fund will go to a broker and say and call them up and say, look, they'll do their locate, but they'll not actually purchase them, or they'll not borrow them like physically from them. Or, and then they'll sell them in the market and then either eventually they'll purchase them or they'll fail to deliver, or they just straight up don't even bother to do the locate. And then they just say, yeah, we've got this, we'll sell it. Yeah, we've got it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that if the, the, the analytics numbers from people like S3 and stuff doesn't actually include any, any instances where the stock isn't 
like legitimately borrowed so that the the, the like the locates under reg show rules don't count towards the reported short interest my understanding is that it should count for anything where they said that there was a locate i mean i guess i understand what you're saying i guess presumably there could be a situation where it's getting counted in there but i don't think that's the norm like i i would think that's kind of an exception to what's going on um because then it would be sort of like i, I just try to think about this because here's the problem with the whole naked short thing right and and people admit this like there's this black box that we can't see inside and no one likes that i mean it wasn't long ago when we didn't even get fails to deliver data right so you kind of have to observe things you know i think about it a lot as like it's like a black hole right like physicists don't see a black hole you can't actually see the black hole you have to observe the effects of the black hole to see the black hole right um and so so you look for these things that are just a little bit off something like that to like guide you to the idea that this might be happening if it was the case that it's these like fake locates adding to it like that that would be sort of obvious it should be easy for regulators to pick up on for you know whoever you know for whoever to notice it and to like pin it down it should then it shouldn't be so hard to find and prosecute these naked shorts right now of course i know what the answer is to this when you bring this up to people right like they'll say oh they don't really care to find it or you know everyone's sort of in on it mm -hmm. um obviously i don't believe that but you know but but that's, I mean, this is the way I look at it. It's like, if it was so obvious that it was just this like fake locate driving up the short interest, like then it would be easy. It should be easy to find this. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, I guess the, the, the point that, that you, you make in the article, um, there specifically is that you say that where's Christian, um, who has represented, I think you said he's done 71 different cases um or he's taken on 71 different cases i'll check that actually um yeah he research. i think it's like he it's like 20 some but he said he's done research into like 70. okay so he's taken yeah sorry you're right so he's litigated 21 cases and done due, due diligence into um 21. let me just bring this up for people to watch um and either the cases have not gone anywhere or they've settled basically um so i think the point that that a lot of people would make in in color in counter to what you're saying is that look if they're if this is a way that that hedge funds use to try and manipulate markets and bash down the price of of different stocks like they're they would just the money that they're going to make off of it is nothing in comparison to the amount that they would have to pay to sell so they're settling and just saying, yeah, we'll just get this off the table and we'll, we'll move out the way. Like, is do you think that would be a legitimate thing that they, or well, not a legitimate, but do you, can you, could you foresee that happening? Because you're far more in that world than I am. You have dealt clearly with a lot more people in the financial industry and had a lot more experience in the system than I have. Like, is do you find that to be something plausible that they would settle a case in order to dismiss any discussion of it? Okay, well, let's start at square one. We have no proof that these cases are settling, right? Like basically no proof. There's 20 some cases. 
they're all private. Like he's saying that these things settle. We have absolutely zero knowledge. I mean, there, there's like one or two where you can see that there was a settlement, I think. Um, but for the bulk of them, we have no idea if there was a settlement or not. So this is his word against no evidence being provided. Two, we have no idea how much they're settling for, right? People will settle for a lot of things, right? Like, like you could settle just because um, I could settle for $5,000 because I know I'm going to pay legal bills of $50,000. We don't know. Like, this is one of the problems about this. Like, we just have zero, as much as they complain about the financial system being a black box, this is also a black box. And then when you ask them for evidence, they do the same thing that they accuse the financial system of. And they say, oh, well, we can't show you because of X, Y, and Z. And there's privacy concerns. And these are our clients and blah, 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 blah. They use the same exact things. But then they get on their high horse about the financial system and try to prove to be crusaders. It drives me insane. So anyway, we have no idea what the settlements are for, right? They could, they could be exactly what he's saying, that they're paying out so much money um, and you know they just don't want to get caught. So they're willing to settle. They don't want to go to court. It could be that they're just settling because it's cheaper to settle. Just go the hell away. I'll pay $5,000 for a settlement. You can say you got a settlement. We won't object to it. And this saves us money. It could be the situation you're saying, though, right? Like, I totally accept that it could be that situation where they, you know, they're making so much money off this. Um, just, hey, hush, hush, be quiet. Here's some money, go away. But then, like, these people treat this like a crusade. This is us against the system. The system's corrupt. Okay. So then at what point are you actually going to have morals and, you know, put up your values and say, wait, wait, no, no, no. The point here is to fix this problem. And we're going to go to court and we're going to put this out in the open so everyone can see it. Why aren't they doing that? So they'll say, of course, well, we have an obligation to our clients and, you know, we get them the settlement. Okay, fine, but like you can't talk about how you're trying to fix the problem if you're not actually taking steps to fix it. Like if you're going to keep everything in the dark and you're not going to you know you're not going to present your evidence to the world. You're not going to show people, "Hey, here's 100% proof that we got a settlement and it was because of this and this is how much we got." I mean, why are why are I don't understand why people take this as like look what he did he, he's won all these cases he's got all these settlements no one knows there's not I don't know a single person who knows this who's won or has the evidence can prove it so I don't know I mean it's kind of pick you know pick your choice but I think you know my two options are more logical than the third one yeah so then in in the case of GameStop I think some of the evidence that people are looking at in terms of trying to say there are hidden shorts basically so if as you're saying like the naked shorts aren't like listed or technically um measured if they exist by um the analytics firms there's things that people point to um in terms of so i don't know how closely you've been following the stock so basically about three months after so january 2021 the the price went from right down at about i think it was like 15 dollars in the start of january 2021 about four dollars about three months previous to that but it spiked all the way to 481 um the buy button was turned off um yeah. and the price crashed to 50 dollars, right but then after that the next couple of days the price sort of spiked back back up back up back up back up got to about 280 i believe 300 
then went down. Then about three months later, in March, it ran the whole way up to 350 again, um, out of nowhere. <laughs> um, people speculated that was um, people finally closing some of their short positions. And then once again, like out of nowhere, it just crashed. Like this was not based on like a massive amount of retail buy-in from what I can tell everyone that had sort of bought in had bought in okay some people were buying more but there was like other players involved and then a couple of months later something similar happened it got all the way up to about 290 again and then dropped again and sometimes people look at things like this and then they'll read articles like yours and see you're sort of railing against this idea that like the market is rigged and you do, you made me laugh with like your um calling it like QAnon levels of, of discourse but like people would people look at a lot of these things and go well look what what on earth is responsible for this like yo-yo in price action like there's nothing in there's nothing in available data that seems to seems to suggest why aside from some really like esoteric like strange like financial instruments that are people are drawing like um things between so for example there was um, a lot of suggestion that failure to deliverers can be sort of erased using um deep out the money puts and um some sort of other options contract to like swap something in um there's been uh, suggestions that like ETFs can be used, things like XRT that had like a massive um, portion of GameStop shares in it, um, which at one point was was shorted like five thousand percent, like something obscene like that. Um, and then I've got a whole other list of things I could list off, like things like um, the self-regulatory nature of the of the DTCC, um, payment for order flow, uh, the way high frequency traders can sort of access the market faster in order to like scrape money off of trades um even back to like synthetic cdos in 2008 actually being a real product that people bought just like derivative contracts made up of derivative contracts so do you like to what extent do you think i know it's a long question <laughs> to what extent <laughs> do you think like there is a that the, the market is like a fair and and free market because it looks to a lot of people who first became exposed to the world of finance through the GameStop saga like there is an awful lot of rigging going on in the market so like do you, do you think that's a fair statement or do you sort of disagree with that um I mean certainly we know weird things happen things that shouldn't happen like I Look, I would never sit here and say it's like perfectly clean, right? Like, I tend to think more of the dirty things happen, like, not in the actual trades themselves. Like, it happens in other places, like, like through the IPO process and things with warrants. And like, I, I don't know, that's where I usually think most of the corruption and weird stuff is happening. But in the actual, like, day-to-day -day trading on an exchange, like, I don't know. Like, I'm sure, like, there's definitely, like, it's not perfect. I'm totally aware of that, but I don't think that's usually the place to look. Um, but, I mean, who knows? Fair enough. Um, so, I guess the next question I would have would be, based on that. 
Well, I mean, I, I guess the other thing to say is like just citing that GameStop example, like it's very clear that after after that, you know, fall run up, it became divorced from the fundamentals, right? Like there was a certain like forget forget the short interest for a little bit, right? Like just where the price was going, I think in fall, early winter of 19 into 20, like there's a certain point there I think anyone can look and say like, look, this obviously wasn't trading on the fundamentals anymore. Like it more than surpassed what it should have traded on fundamentals. Um, and obviously there was, there was obviously tons of short interest that will explain at least one of the runups. The other ones, like, I, I don't know, like the, the most logical explanation to me just keeps being like, this was a stock that was talked about. There was this, you know, there was this community, whatever you want to call it around it. There was this hurting behavior that it would run up again and drop, run up again and drop. And certainly like, look, the, the stopping the buy, the buy button thing was ridiculous. Like I think everyone, I don't, I don't know anyone who doesn't agree with how absolutely ridiculous that was. Um, but, but like, it seems like there's an explanation or at least gets you like, you know, most of the way there just in understanding, like it was, you know, just crazy. Like we've never seen anything like this. It was divorced from the fundamentals anyway. Like no one really cared how high the price was going. Like people were saying diamond hands don't sell. Like these are not normal things. <laughs> so to see not normal behavior, like totally not normal behavior, like people saying that they're not going to take a profit at any, any level that was even remotely plausible or, or maybe not plausible, but like, defensible from a traditional fundamental standpoint. Um, he, that's, that's a setup to get crazy things happening. Like that seems more logical to me than there's a million different nefarious things. But, but I, I mean, I don't know, like, look, there could have been, like, there could have been, I, I have no idea, but um, the naked short selling thing would have been, I don't know. I mean, like, I keep thinking in the GameStop instance, like, like I said, if there was a place where the setup was perfect for it to happen, but with the borrow rate being so incredibly high, like that's the perfect instance for naked short selling because you're trying to get around having to pay the borrow. Um, but you know, we can we can complain a lot about the way Congress and regulators handled the situation, but the fact is they did haul these guys out in front and, you know, put them on trial essentially in front of the public. And it seemed like they were eager to do something. There was certainly a political will to do something like, you know, if you watch those hearings, like members of Congress were like chomping at the bit to like get a part of the, you know, get a piece of these guys. So if there was evidence of naked short selling then, and you know you would think FINRA or the SEC, TTCC would have had some sort of proof. That was the time to go after it to to do something, right? Like that's the one thing I don't get. Like they were in the crosshairs. There's no doubt about that. Vlad, like Vlad especially, was in the crosshairs. Um, but Ken Griffin certainly got dragged up there. Like if there was a time to go after them, if there was a political will to do it, you would think you would think that would be it. So. You know, in one sense, I'm saying that as like evidence for my kind of perspective, but I, but I understand why people look and they say, well, if they wouldn't do it, then they're never going to do it. So like, I, I totally, you know, kind of shooting my own evidence in the foot a little bit there, but I get it. I mean, like I, 
my with my cynical brain on i would say well a lot of these people are looking for to go after them because it was the thing of the moment and their staff probably went hey you know you'll get loads of good press if you say this this and this without any actual desire to go after them um I mean, I've spoken to people who have different opinions on, on Gary Gensler's work um, at the SEC. Um, Dave Lauer, for example, thinks he's doing a reasonable, good, reasonably good job um, within the framework he's sort of working within. Um, Suzanne Trimbath, who you cited in the article, seems to think that he's not doing a great job and could do a yeah. lot more within his sort of scope of power. Um, but... I don't know. I, I again, my cynical hat on. I feel like the the cost to their future careers as advisors at financial services um, boards, or um, you know, straight from the SEC into say Robinhood or Citadel. You know, as we've seen, like the pathway totally exists. People, people do it. Um, there's quite a few uh, people work at Citadel and at Robinhood, just to cite like the two people involved in the GameStop thing, who like came straight out of the SEC. I think they waited the three months exactly that you have to wait, and then straight into a job like at, at this, and it makes me skeptical that they would do anything. Um, just yeah, no, for- and that's yeah. that's totally fair. I mean, I guess the one thing I would say is like, if there was ever a time though that you would think someone would want to go after them. Gensler is pretty well off. He did his time at Goldman. Like he never underestimate anyone's desire to make more money. <laughs> like, you know, but I think by all accounts, he's worth over a hundred million dollars. Like I again, I will never say that someone, you know, even worth a hundred million dollars doesn't want to be worth 200, 300, a billion. Um, but man, like you would think that would be the opportunity to have someone that's already made it, who's been at the top of the heap financially, who doesn't need a career beyond this. And it's sort of like, you know, by all accounts, he's been trying to angle for secretary of the treasury to get like a real nameplate job. Um, you would think he would be the one to go after it, but you know, yeah. who knows? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, the, the FTX Sam Bankman freed example sort of proves that, that money in the right pockets can mean no one's going to look at you too, too closely. Um, but like just just for interest for you actually i'm not sure if if you'll you'll uh find this but um some of the the cost to borrow things like after the january run-up long after so um march the max cost to borrow according to ortex for gamestop was 87 percent um on in may vortex was uh they were reporting a cost to borrow of 301 percent um, yeah, and there's a couple other ones uh, through that month. There was one day it was 231, another day it was uh, 325, um, and yeah, it's th- these. There's there's sometimes they're just astronomical figures involved, and like watching this whole thing. And again, this is the, the one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you is because like you have far more like time looking at different stocks and tickers than than I probably will ever have. Um, but one of the things that the people have, have seen repeatedly through this and sort of highlighted is is like glitches in share price, like uh, share prices being listed in terms of like shares available to short in terms of like the ticker doing weird things like um, the 
different like orders coming in that are saying like they won't accept anything below like 10 million for a share like there's been countless countless examples like i couldn't i i would need more than a book to fill with the amount of glitches involved like is that just the financial system is there just like is there so so much information and data being thrown around that like these glitches occur on tickers and on like in the way things are reported and and stuff uh yeah i don't know i i don't know i'd have to look at some of these specific examples i mean well not none of the none of those like specifically ring a bell to me um as anything i've ever looked into but you know yeah. um this is what happens when you have and this is yeah this is what happens when you have like a hundred thousand people constantly looking at one ticker <laughs> you know um they they find things that you wouldn't expect Yeah, I'll find somewhere where while you, while we're talking about the next thing, I've got them somewhere in this document. So, like the the other thing that I want to sort of uh, ask was, what do you make of a lot? Uh, basically, so through through writing the book, like I've come across a lot of examples of, for example, um, Citadel, um, who last week were charged with uh, marking shorts as longs and longs as shorts and just market trades incorrectly. They're fined 7 million. Um, that is one of countless examples where financial firms have been fined small amounts compared to the amount that they will have made off of their apparent mistakes. Do you think that is a reasonable way to conduct for a for a for a regulator to conduct themselves is like or would you say that like being harsher is going to be detrimental to the market generally um well i guess the first thing like the i'm not sure that we actually know the financial harm from like the citadel one from last week like yeah, I, I mean that that specifically it's difficult to tell what the financial harm is in that case. I mean, if yeah. you were to go full crazy, you could say that um they were marking all of their shorts as longs through the entire GameStop saga and getting away with having far more shorts involved than, you know. Well, but but even at that, like like there's a difference between like there's the press release and there's the order, right? And the press release and that one specifically mentions reg show a bunch and you know protecting from illegal naked shorts but but then the order doesn't really talk about that it, like it, when you read the order it's like it makes it seem like it's mostly a bookkeeping issue like they don't seem to be saying like hey this caused phantom shares or anything like that like they're basically saying like this screwed up the integrity of the data that you're handing over to us and so we're finding you for that because you've agreed in order to have you know, all of your certifications, blah, 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 that you have to have accurate books and you didn't give us accurate books. Like they, they don't seem to be saying like this caused the phantom share issue that it, you know, caused, caused any of this. And like, they don't, I, I don't recall seeing a number in there on the financial harm. So like, it's hard to judge whether it was a big fine or a little fine, you know, like I, I don't have, I don't think there's the context. I don't, I don't think there's context 
for that first off. Um, but ge- like generally speaking, the way the SEC has gone about things, like I recommend people read, there's a book called The Chicken Shit Club. And it was written about, you know, uh, how the SEC has gone about enforcement actions since like, I forget when they say the turning point was like 2002, 2003. Um, but he makes a very persuasive case for like, hey, you know, these sorts of fines, not going after criminal, um, not, not, not doing criminal procedures, going strictly after fines, um, taking settlements was supposed to be sort of a one-off affair because there was a couple cases back. I forget the specific case, but um, basically saying like, yeah, they didn't really have enough information to go on for like a full sort of like, you know, to, to recommend criminal charges to like FBI, stuff like that. And so they took this as like kind of an out. I think it was like Mary Jo White back then. And um, what was supposed to be an exceptional case and going for settlement became the norm. And he lays out and, and, you know, some of the things he lays out in that book are like, yeah, there is this revolving door. We all know about it. We all know it's a problem. Something should be, something should absolutely be done to shut the revolving door, like make it much harder to get through. Um, but yeah, I mean, reading that book, like you, you do come away from it thinking like the SEC is not doing the right thing here, that they should actually be prosecuting individuals. Like that, to me, that's more important than than these fines. Go after actual people here. Like no one, they don't, you know, they didn't go after anybody in 2008. Why not? Like there sure seemed like there was criminal conduct. So, I mean, if I was thinking of the world type of thing, that's, that's what I would push towards. Like go actual, go after actual individuals. Don't give them this in, you know, indemnity to like work behind corporations and, you know, have a free for all. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah. But again, that's, that, that sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier about, money in the right pockets um and the seriously severely under-resourced sec um given given how large the market is in terms of like percentage of gdp it's it stuns me that like not only are the sec constantly saying they're under-resourced but that like a lot of the work is then outsourced to self-regulatory bodies who have every incentive to not say anything because then that invites more questions. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask about um, was, um, I'm not sure, are you familiar with some of Matt Taibbi's reporting on the, the 2008 crash? Um, so he's very convinced that naked shorting was used to kill both Bear Stearns and Lehman, or at least give them the last push off the edge of the cliff. Um, what do you make of, of that theory? Um, yeah, I don't really buy it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, if I, it's been a while since I read all that stuff, but yeah, I mean, I got the sense that it, um, I don't think it was his best reporting. I like Matt a lot, but I, I think he got fed a lot of, inf- I mean, you have to remember he was making a lot of hay off the overstock stuff, right? Like he was getting fed by a person whose name I shall not say uh information like i don't know like we're questioning regulators being in people's pockets and stuff and like it happened both ways man <laughs> like like you know journalists like it's not usually a quid pro quo with money or anything like that but like if you have a source that keeps giving you information you're more likely to believe them you know on the next thing they tell you and things like that and 
I don't know. He he was really heavy on the overstock thing. I think that was all fairly dubious. Um, I think there was kernels of truth there. There was obviously problems. He, you know, Dr. Trimbass's book gets heavily into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if if any naked shorting was happening there, it was like I mean, I think the body was dead, and it was like the last bullet in a corpse. You know. Mm. Yeah. I think I think people's suspicions about it comes from the fact that, as far as I understand, if you have shorts open, naked or not, on a company that then goes bankrupt, that you just get to keep the money that you'd made selling the sh the shares selling the sh selling the shares short. <laughs> That's a big mouthful. <laughs> uh, tax free, as far as I understand which is um, a nice little boon. So, I mean, yeah. As you said, it's the black box that makes it a problem. It's that we can't see into what's going on, and neither can anyone. That's the biggest issue. It's like, not that I believe that everyone should be constantly able to see everything, but I feel like there should be some sort of auditability of the... Of every trade that happens and i guess maybe if if things go blockchain direction we'll get that which would be lovely but that might take a long time given how difficult it is to unpick the current structure of wall street anyway um brandon i want to really thank you for your time man um i really appreciate it uh is there anything you want to plug before we finish no i'm all good thanks a lot josh really appreciate it no no problem Hey everyone, thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor, hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos. See you next time.